Praise the Lord. Good morning. You may appreciate in the house of the Lord to be a house of prayer. Hallelujah. Eddie, can you hit those lights? Praise the Lord. Thank you. I figured you might be able to. Amen. How many want to come into the house of the Lord and, uh, you know, always be aware that we need to pray for one another? Always be aware that we need to um, um, be bringing things to the altar. And, you know, um, one of the things I've noticed from talking to a lot of pastors is a lot of people don't utilize the altar anymore and churches are going away from that and 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 I think we need to reverently understand that God always wants us no matter where we're at in our walk and you say well man I got things right a long time ago at the altar uh, you need to go to the altar again then because uh, there's always something that we can uh, bring into the presence of the Lord there's always something that we need uh, God to strengthen us and help us and and you say well man I've got everything in order well you need to be praying for somebody else then hallelujah you need to bring somebody else's need up to the altar and so uh, church we don't ever want to be a church that is not a house of prayer hallelujah we don't want to be we don't want the lord spiritually to come in here with a court of whips and run us out and say you're not doing what i ask you to do hallelujah how many know that the lord intended for this to be a house of prayer and uh, this goes along with the message i'm preaching today the words uh, line up perfectly with what we're uh, preaching about today. If you would turn in Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, and you hear Revelation, you say, oh no. Everybody say that, oh no. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Good to have Rhonda and uh, Brad in the house this morning. And uh, yeah, give them a hand this morning. I miss them. I haven't had a chance to talk to them the last couple times you visited Rhonda and I I really wanted to talk to you last time I seen you, and it's really nice to see you this morning. We love you. Glad to have you this morning. Um, It says, to the angel of the church in Sardis write. Now I'm going to stop there. Listen really carefully. The seven churches of Revelation are different personalities that, you know, they're a location and Jesus is the ones giving an evaluation of each of the seven churches. They're in Asia Minor, and he's given, um, he's given an evaluation of how they're doing. And so what we find is each is a location. And as you look at the location, you start to recognize that their physical environment um, ties in with what he evaluates them to be spiritually. So it's like a word picture at each location of the seven churches. Their specific uniqueness of their geography uh, also kind of ties in with his evaluation of how they're doing as a church. And you say, well, how does that affect me today? You know, these are churches around, you know, 90, BC, 90 AD, uh, first century uh, Jerusalem or Asia Minor. And uh, the reason they're important is because they're all attributes uh, that you're going to find in the church, among the churches, and among believers. And so it's a warning for us to always, um, if it's a good quality, we want to be a church that has those qualities. If it's a bad quality, um, we should equally, it it says in each one, uh, let him hear, Um, the Spirit is speaking, so he that has an ear, let him hear. 
And so that means that every time we're gathered together, we need to be aware, you know, the good and the bad, and we need to evaluate where we're at as a church. And um, so in Sardis, this is what he writes. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. This is Jesus walking through the churches and examining their lampstands and just giving an evaluation of each one. He says, I know your deeds. Now, when you hear that, that's his way of saying, I know what you're doing. I'm aware of your behavior and your actions. Um, so that's what he's trying to say there. I know your, de- your deeds. You have a reputation. I want you to start thinking about that word reputation. So this church has a reputation. This is what the community believes they are. Okay. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You say, well, man, those poor people. You know, man, I'm glad I'm not those people. And so, but like I said, the Spirit's saying, he that has an ear, let him hear. We don't want to be those negative qualities that he isn't pleased with the churches, right? You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. So there's still a little life in them, right? For I have found your deeds unfinished. Your behaviors, your actions, they're not complete. They're not finished. They're not, you're not Fulfilling what you intended and set out to do is what that's saying. I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast. Don't let go of it. What you received and heard, that was what you need to be doing. Right? And repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. So here we begin to see part of their problem. Their clothes that were, this is a a symbol of how separated are they living this life. And you say, oh yeah, yeah, holiness, you know, right, wrong, you know. Um, no, he's saying, how much are you attentive to what I'm asking you to do? How obedient to you are, are you to me? Not what everybody sees. He's saying, there's a few of you that you haven't soiled yourself like the other ones. Right? You haven't um, gone the way that they have gone. There's a few of you. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The one who is victorious... The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of the person from the book of life, but will acknowledge the name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, anoint this word, Lord. I pray that we would have ears to hear. And Lord, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever it is, Lord, that you are speaking, Lord, we want to hear it this morning. And uh, so, Lord, I pray that you would awaken us, Lord God, awaken our ears, and um, let us be obedient to what you're asking us to do today. In your name we pray, 
Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Did you know that churches can die? They can die. In fact, look at verse 1. It says, The angel of the Lord, the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. This is a church and this is people. You say, well, it's just a church, Ted. You're scaring me here. No, it's also people because he said there are some that haven't. And be like those ones who haven't. And let's make sure that we're doing the things that we learned originally. And let's hold on tight to it. So it's given some really good instruction here. And it's not just to a general um, church. It's, it's, it's given it to all of us, you know, about being aware that, you know, we can die. And you say, well, what is that death? Well, the Bible says that formerly, before we came to Christ, we were dead in trespasses and sins. And so we weren't even awakened yet to what God wanted us to do in life. And what God wanted us to do for him, his mission and his purpose for us in life. And so God took us out of the darkness and brought us into his light. And then we were aware that we have a mission and a purpose. And that purpose is to live for Christ. And that mission is to win people for Christ, to build people up in Christ and to send people to do the work with us. Hallelujah. The purpose in Christ. And you're not going to believe this, but churches um, can get so cold and so dry that they can be totally devoid of those purposes and that mission. And so when that happens, the condition the Bible calls it is dead. That means that there's no part of that church's mission or purpose that is committed to what Christ originally called them for. And so that's the condition of Sardis. And we want to make sure that we learn the lessons from Sardis so that we as a church, and not just this church, but churches all across uh, the world and America also, we don't want to be what Sardis uh, was evaluated to be. Hallelujah. So this one is very interesting. There's two kind of ways that you can die. And how many have ever seen churches that are, they're about to close the doors, they're down to almost nobody, and you know, you can see that they're very, very close, they're kind of in that, you know, like you see that airplane going down, and you know it's not going to recover, it's, it's going down. And uh, we see that dead, but I don't think that's what's happening here. Because it says every appearance is, they're alive. Right? And so this ought to startle us a little bit. This ought to make us think, wow, that's interesting. That's not what I expected. You, you, I heard dead and I thought, well, man, they're tail spinning and they're about empty and they're about to close. And that is something we see with dead churches. But this one looks alive. This one has the appearance of life. Uh, this is probably a church that's bustling with people, but they're just dead um, to what Christ has called them to do. 
you know, somehow they've died completely to Christ's mission and the purpose of the church and what the church was called to do. And so that should immediately startle us and make us think, well, wait a minute. How did they be, how did they get in this condition? In fact, you know, it happens all the time with churches. In fact, there are some right now, and you guys know it as well as I do. There are some churches that are so devoid of the gospel and preaching what Christ asked us to preach that all over this city this morning, there are dead churches that are conducting services. They have dead pastors. They have dead missions. They have dead preaching. There's no life to be found anywhere in those churches, and I'm hesitant to put a percentage on it. But they're all over the city right now. Sardis churches. And God doesn't want us to be that, so we've got to figure out how did they die? What caused this church to die? Because there's two kinds. The one that just dies and the other one that's alive but is actually dead and has lots of signs of life. So we want to look at both of those. But you know, when a person passes away, uh, we noticed this during COVID, when you um, have to file a report for a person passing away, you have to put a cause of death. And we found during COVID that a lot of times it became COVID, but lots of times there were many other reasons why they died. There's things called comorbidities. Like they could have died from about 10 different things, really. You know, there's a lot of issues there. Like Eddie was eating too much ice cream. You know, that's, you know, that's, that's, somebody needs to pull that ice cream away from him. Push that table away. That's too much ice cream. But how many know there are lots of reasons why churches die? But we've got to examine and try to figure out what's the cause of death you know, in church and in this church here in Sardis and, 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 and listen to this 4,500 Protestant. Now this is just the Protestant research group. 4,500 churches closed in 2019. 3,000 new ones opened. And so that's the latest research is 2019, but they predict that somewhere between seven to 10,000 will close. Um, that's the current trend right now, seven to 10,000. And you can imagine the church has been through everything in 2,000 years. They've been through wars, they've been through famines, they've been through all kinds of things, but the church uh, quite often just continues to grow and continues to be strong and you know, so we can make it through anything. There's nothing that we've seen in the last couple of years that the church hasn't seen a hundred times worse. But this is the first time since they've been doing research that they actually had a negative loss. Like there were more closing than were opening. That's the first time. And that number is going to jump to seven to 10,000 if the trends stay the same. And so we need to examine why did this church close and then examine why every church in America needs to be aware of the signs of death? The signs of what a church looks like when it starts to go that way. And so we look at uh, Sardis here and we want to kind of look at their background a little bit. Sardis was a very interesting city. It... Um, 
It had a, um, it was built on top of a 1500 foot high um, hill. And on that hill, it had three sides that were smooth rocks and very steep. So I want you to imagine being a mountain climber and having to climb up 1,500 feet and the rocks are pretty smooth and the city is up on top of that hill and there's only one entrance into the city and it's from the south and the city was considered one of the most um, impregnable cities in the ancient world. In fact, in the 7th century, it was a massive city and all this is very important. It was a massive city and it was the capital of the Lydian kingdom. So just imagine a city that was great at one time. And so this starts showing you what God's trying to tell us. Because there are a lot of churches at one time that were doing the things that God had called them to do. In fact, you look at this church. You know, we weren't affiliated with the church before and didn't have any ties with it, but I look at pictures from the 50s and the 60s, and there are hundreds of people from this community that were in Sunday school, and and, and just lots of people in the house, and, and and how many know there are churches like that all over, um, in fact, the giant, beautiful church over here used to be full, you know, St. Paul's over here, and they closed down because they couldn't put people in there anymore, and and, and so this city was like that. It was the glory of the Lydian kingdom. It was big. It was beautiful. You know, it was wonderful. But the problem that they had was they believed that I can't be attacked and I, and I can't be beaten. And so because of that, they got very complacent, very lazy. And they would not even put anybody to defend those three sides because they said it's impossible. You know, nobody is ever going to be a threat to us. And so because of that, the Bible is trying to tell us that they, they were attacked by Cyrus, the Persian king. And when Cyrus wanted to attack, usually you'd be kind of fearful because the Persian army was huge. But this particular city, they were pretty arrogant about it. They said, uh, let, let Cyrus try, but he's not going to be able to beat me, you know. And so Cyrus um, had a special forces group that were specialized in mountain climbing. (laughs) And during the night, they scaled the vertical walls that were hard to climb, and they conquered the city. Well, the city went several more hundred years, and during the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, which is a... uh, Um, one of the four generals um, from the Greek Empire, several hundred years later, uh, he was ready to attack the city. And guess what they did? You would think they would say, well, look, you know, we're very open to an enemy attack because it's happened in the past. But no, they were arrogant, overconfident. They didn't feel like an enemy attack was going to happen. So again, they said, he can try, but we're impenetrable here we we're at ease we're lazy we're spiritually overconfident and so this is what the spirit is saying to the churches this is the one church that didn't really have persecution yet I mean I'm sure they had a little here and there but the other churches in fact Smyrna was the opposite Smyrna says you're dying because you're being persecuted so heavy but yet you're alive 
Like they're spiritually really alive, but they're being persecuted. This church was the opposite. They look alive, but they're really dying and almost dead. And really, uh, he actually says they are dead, but hey, there's a little bit left in you that can be remained and strengthened. And so this is a church that doesn't seem like um, they were caught up in some kind of major teaching problem. They really didn't have an enemy was attacking them. Uh, they just didn't feel like they had to, they didn't have to defend themselves. They didn't have to. Uh, and you say, well, how does that relate to a Christian? Well, a lot of times in our Christian walk, um, we don't do anything to defend ourselves against the enemy. You know, we don't really pray. We don't really press in. We're not really a part of the mission and the purpose of the church. And that leaves us open to enemy attacks. That means that we're just lazily going through life. And because the fighting is not hot, now I'm open to and I'm slowly dying. But I don't even realize that a church that has no fight or a person that has no fight, um, they're just open for enemy attack. And so this is what this church in Sardis kind of had going. So let's look at some of the things that Christ says about this church. Number one, this church seems to really have a concern about its reputation. Get a little closer here. Don't have to walk up so much, right? I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. How many get the impression from that verse that he's calling them out on their real concern for their reputation. And so I think this is the means that they had to look alive. You know, we know how to speak Christianese, right? We know how to make think people think we've got everything in line, right? And we can give the appearance that everything is good and we're strong in the Lord and we're pursuing God with all of our heart. And as a church, we got, we got all kinds of things to make a church look alive. And I think a lot of churches do that. It's all smoke and it's mirrors and it's, you know, and they have ways to make a church look alive. We have ways of making ourselves look alive. But Jesus is the true evaluator of where we're at. And we may have people believing that, yeah, Chad, I'm really earnestly digging into the Word of God. And you know good and well that that thing hasn't been off your shelf and opened, except when I say turn to Revelation chapter 3. And I'm not trying to be mean. I, I love the church, and I want us all to do well. But if we're not protected and we're not really digging in the Word of God and we're not going in and saying, man... If you read the Bible all the time and they're just really inspirational stories, you might not be reading it like I am. Because I read the Bible a lot of times and it hits me hard. And it makes me think to myself, man, I need to change some things. And I don't like the way I look in that area. And I don't like the way the Bible says it's like a mirror. You look into the mirror and, you know, and you, that's the only way to see, hey, man, I got grease on my face from working on the car. You know, hey, I, my hair's messed up. You know, some of us look in the mirror and it's like, wow, man, I look good. <laughs> but how many know the word of God 
There's this constant looking in the mirror and just saying, God, am I lining up with what you want me to do in my life? And, and so this is what he's asking Sardis to do. You know, he's asking them to, to be what they say they are. You know, you say you're alive, but you're not. You're actually, you're actually dead. And the Bible is really clear that the church's purpose is to equip, to encourage, to strengthen and train people to take the gospel. In fact, look at Matthew 28. <clears throat> this is called the Great Commission. And it says... Therefore, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him and worshipped him, they saw him and worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them in, to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So there's three real commands there. Number one is go, right? So we're to go. Then we're to make disciples and teach them to obey um, the words that Christ has given us. Right? And we're to train them up. And then we're to send them to go. So really simple, three things there. Go make disciples, train those disciples, and then go send those disciples. So every church should have a vision um, of how they're going to accomplish that. And, and every community is a little different. How many know that? Every community is a little different. And, but we should have a plan in place uh, to fulfill the Great Commission. To go and make disciples, you know, that means that we are out there looking for people that we can preach the gospel to, and we're to make disciples, right? And so everything that we should do on a Sunday morning should be about making disciples, right? It should be when they walk in the doors that we're all committed and unified in the purpose of what Christ has called us to do, and that is to make disciples. And you say, well, man, we don't want to offend anybody, though. The next thing is we're to make disciples and then to teach them to obey everything that Christ has commanded us. And then we're to raise them up and they're to go with us to help us make disciples. Three, three very clear uh, mission that we have, but somewhere along the way, and I don't know how it happens, churches become distracted. And so that's the next thing he says, I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. That means you started it, but then you stopped and you went and did something else. It's unfinished. How many have ever seen somebody, or maybe you're that person, don't look guilty here, all right? Try to look straight ahead, or they're going to know it's you. How many have like 50 unfinished projects, right? Don't, don't do it. I don't, I don't want. But how many know somebody like that, or that may be you, that there's this project, that project, that project, and this project, and lots of unfinished product projects? Well, that's what Jesus is saying. You started on something, 
but then for some reason you stopped and you're now dead to what that original thing was, you know. And so let me give you a few things that churches do. Social change. You know, a lot of churches right now are fully engaged in social change, but not really preaching the gospel, not really making disciples, and not really sending out people to preach the gospel. Some people are looking for cultural relevance. We we want to be relevant with the culture, right? Paul wasn't very relevant when he was being chased out of town with stones. He was preaching the gospel, preaching the truth. And a lot of people didn't like it, but he loved people. He loved them enough to tell them the truth. He loved enough to disciple them. He loved them enough to pull them out of some of the worst places, uh, places that are worse than what we have today. Their culture was just absolutely wicked. More wicked probably than even our culture. And Paul cared enough about him, loved him enough to not be culturally relevant. He preached the gospel. And we come from a history of people that preach the gospel, not a history of people that are loved and admired by the community and the culture. I'm not called to be loved by the community and culture. I'm called to preach the gospel in love. And there's a big difference, church. Hallelujah. So social change, cultural relevance, and uh, how about this one? This is interesting. Personal goals. Personal goals. Chad, I believe the church should be this. I believe the church should be that. And that's good. I mean, I'm glad this is how we used to do it. This is how we did it so-and-so time. This is how they did it. This is how so-and-so did it. But, But here's the problem with personal visions. We have a vision to fulfill the mission that Christ gave us. We all need to know that vision. Do you guys know that when we wrote the vision for this church, we had hours and hours and hours of meetings to just really detail what are all the things that God has scripturally called us to do, and we put that into a vision. And there's about 30 things on there that if you told me any one of those 30 things, I would say that's the most important thing. Until I put them all together and realize there's about 30 of those things. And so if all of our energy and all of our focus is not focused on the same things, how many know that we're going to leave the work unfinished? And we're going to, we're going to be going into a death spiral. But if we can begin to together have a unified purpose, unified mission, unified vision, then we can start to do the things he's called us to do and we'll be alive, church. And so if we have more than one vision, you say, well, what is the vision? Is it your vision? No, we collectively came together, made a vision, and that vision was put on paper. That vision has been with everybody in the church to build it, and that the board that we had, that's all we work off. They'll tell you. We work off the vision and the mission. And so we as a church need to know that vision, know that mission um, well. 
And if we have more than one vision, do you know what we have? A division. Division. And so a lot of churches, this is a pretty good understanding of what happens. Number one, they're worried about reputation more than they're worried about God. God says, I'm calling you to do these things. And they're like, well, no, God, we want to be seen this way. We want to look this way. We want to have a reputation. We want people to view us in such a way. And can I tell you something? I could care less what people think about me, but I care a great deal what God thinks. Hallelujah. You say, well, Chad, if we just did this and it filled up the house, then they would know that we're an alive church. Or if they walked in and they seen these motions or these actions or this certain thing, then they would know we're in a live church. Yeah, but Jesus might look at it still and say, everybody thinks you have a reputation of being alive, but you are actually dead. I mean, know that we can do a lot of things to make us look like we got it going on, but the Lord says it doesn't matter unless you're doing what I've called you to do. Number three, he says, remember therefore what you have received and heard and hold it fast. That's the Bible's way of saying that get a grip on it and don't let it go. And so he's saying the things that you were taught, the things that we told you to do, that's what you need to grab a hold of and don't let go of it. And so when these churches were planted, in fact, Sardis, they don't know exactly at what moment it was planned, like a lot of other churches, but it's very close to Ephesus. And so when Paul was at Ephesus for three years, it said the whole surrounding region, um, the gospel was preached and many came to the Lord. And so the things that they received most likely was Paul preaching the gospel. And we know how the gospel was preached in Ephesus. I mean, we know what Paul went through to preach the gospel. We know the stand he had in the word of God. We know how Paul didn't back down. He preached the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And he preached it the way the Lord Jesus asked him to preach it. And for some reason, this gives a hint into what this church was doing. They were not holding fast to what they were taught. They weren't doing the things that they were originally taught to do. They started to kind of back away, and when it says that their garments had been soiled, that means they were living more like the world than they were living what they were originally taught. And church, how many know that's a sure sign that a church is dying, and they may even look alive? They may have all kinds of good programs. But you know they're dying if their garments are soiled, and they're not holding on to the things that they originally were given to do. Right, And so it's all about purpose and mission. Number four. So we've got um, the reputation was more important. We've got their deeds were unfinished and they weren't focused on what God called them to do. Then they didn't re- take what they received and hold on to it tight. Number four, it says repent. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. That repent is a big word. How many know that every single person that preached the gospel, it always started with one word? Repent. 
And there are lots of churches, even mega churches, you're not going to believe that, but that word is never used. Churches all across America, and we wonder why we have dead churches that have thousands of people, and we wonder why we have churches that are dying and closing the doors, and uh, one of the great reasons why we have dead churches is, is because people don't preach the gospel. The gospel is repent. He's not saying confession. Confession means I just tell God what I did. Repentance means that I'm told the direction I'm going is the wrong direction and it's a 180 and I'm supposed to go back in another direction. But how many know in a lot of churches the gospel is not preached and the word repent is not used? We're embarrassed of that word. Preachers won't preach the gospel and they say, well, don't talk about couples that live together. Don't talk about adultery. Don't talk about homosexuality. You'll say, oh, wow, you did it now. Pastor, we're not going to be culturally relevant if you keep preaching like that. You're not supposed to amen that. Yeah. But how many know there are a lot of churches in this city that will not speak out against sin? And it's not because we hate the sinner. It's not because we're angry about their sins. It's not because one of those sins I just mentioned is bigger than the other. It's just, that's that whole realm of sin in the sexual realm. How many know that God put them all together? Bestiality, fornication, which is outside of marriage, adultery, which is outside your marriage, you know, a relationship, and then homosexuality, cross-dressing, all those things. How many know that we're required to, in love, preach the gospel? And we're to ask people to repent, and that's how we make a disciple. They repent and go the other direction and then the church lovingly comes beside them and gives them the support to help them with that sin. You say, well, that sounds really simple. Well, why do so many churches get it wrong? Number one, they don't preach the gospel in love. And number two, they don't preach the gospel at all. Both of those things happen. You say, well, what what about alcohol? Oh, wow, Chad, you don't bring that up. Well, what if the Bible talks about that subject more than any other subjects and Christians are afraid to say, don't touch it and don't look at it like the Bible says. The Bible says, do not be drunk on wine. Yet when you preach about it, they say, well, be careful, you're going to lose some tithes. Well, I would rather be alive than dead. We're going to be starting an addiction recovery program here. And how in the world, in fact, we're right around the corner. We're working on it right now. How can I preach freedom from addiction and not mention it in my sermons that we need to repent of it? Now, you go to the churches around this city and they won't talk about it. You know why? In fact, I was invited in my early 20s by the Women's Christian Temperance Union. They heard me preaching on alcohol in the Bible and I needed to know. Both sides of my family, you know, all were in the taverns. And that was the history of my family. So when I came to the Lord, I had to know what does the Bible say about alcohol? And I really didn't want an opinion on it. I threw my opinion away and I said, whatever the Bible says, that's what I'm going with. And so I studied and studied and studied files and files and files of alcohol. In fact, it's one of the most talked about subjects in the Bible. 
you, you've got a few chapters on communion, but you've got piles and piles of notes on alcohol in the Bible. And the Women's Christian Temperance Union says, hey, we've never heard anybody speak on alcohol like that. And I was in my early 20s, hadn't even done a lot of preaching yet. And they said, we want you to do a public uh, meeting and we're going to invite all the ministers in the area to come hear what you have to say on alcohol. And you know what? That is not a group that wants to hear that message. And that's sad. Because how many people, it's the number one drug problem in the world right now. And last year, do you know what the number one drug problem was? Alcohol. Do you know two years ago what the number one problem was? Alcohol. You know what it was three years ago? Alcohol. You know what it was the year before that? Alcohol. You know what the history of mankind, the worst drug problem? Alcohol. And churches aren't preaching about the things that people are dying from. And Jesus is looking and evaluating these churches and saying, he doesn't say it, he's evaluating saying you're dead, but I think there's also maybe like, you spineless pastors. You cowardly preachers of the God. He doesn't say that. Don't quote me that he said that. But can I tell you, we're not helping people and we're not loving people if we're not telling them the truth and we're not asking for repentance in love. And I've been in churches where that in love is not added. Where they yell at you and they scream at you and they, you know, they demand and they make people seem lower. And the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says do it with meekness because you could just as easily be caught up in the same sin. But as a church, we've got to be alive to God's purpose for this church. And that is to win the lost. And so we've got to make sure this environment is conducive for people to hear the gospel uh, for people to have help as they're coming out of addictions, help as they're coming in. You say, well, what are the addictions? The things we mentioned this morning. I mean, you know, anger is an addiction. Bitterness is an addiction. Pornography is an addiction. You know, there's all kinds of things, and the Bible calls it the sinful nature. It means we're all trapped fighting things that we don't have the power to beat, but Jesus does, and we better be preaching at church And we better be teaching repentance and we better be going to an altar on a regular basis and acknowledging I need to repent and turn from my sins or else we'll go down the same route of being a dead church like Sardis. Hallelujah. Jesus said this, Luke 24, 47. says, this is what is written... The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name, in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Did you hear that? What will be preached? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name, in his name to all nations. Church, that's simple. We need to preach repentance. That means turn in the other direction and repent and let's become disciples of Christ and let's grow and let's build you up and let's help you out of the things that you're struggling with and you say, yeah, those struggling people. You are those struggling people. We're all fighting, you know, all these things that are 
not right with God. We all are sinners and have come short of the glory of God. And our purpose and our mission is to fulfill that call to help us repent. How many know if we don't repent in this house, we can't preach repentance? I know a lot of churches that are dead and unrepentant, and they're trying to tell people to repent. But how many know every time we crack that Bible open, it's, it's an act of repentance? It's turning away from what I want to do. And so I say all that to say, personal preferences is a lot of one of the reasons why they quit their work. They're personal preferences. But Jesus says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Like, there's hope here in that statement. He's like saying, recognize where you're at because there's a lot there that can still live. And this is probably a really dead church. But he's saying there's something there that's real. Hold on to that, strengthen it so it will remain. So he won't be gone. God's trying to help us remain. And then he says this, but if you do not wake up, I mean, no, there's an alternative. We can make two decisions here. We can wake up or not wake up. But if you don't wake up, I'll come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Sardis has an interesting name. If you look at the meaning of Sardis, it actually means those who are escaping. The ones who are able to escape. And so I think this is a message for us in the last days. um, That there are those who haven't spotted themselves. There are those who are living out Christ's mission and Christ's purpose. And he's saying those who aren't, you need to strengthen what remains and do the right thing. Because if you don't, the Lord's going to come back and time is running out. And we're not redeeming the time. Time's going to run out and either you're going to miss him or there's a lot of people out there that will never know him. And some of them you love and care about. And church, can I tell you, you say, well, I want my own vision for the church. Church, we have a division if you're not poured into the vision. You say, well, I just won't do anything. I'll just sit back. That's the same as being opposed to it. Nothing gets done still. We got to press into the mission and the purpose of the church. And you say, well, I'll do it alone and I'll do it at home. Do I even have to go into that? I I don't even want to waste my time on that. Church, we got to be a part of the purpose and the mission of Christ. And we've got to find like-minded people who are pursuing it. And we've got to get laser focused and say, you know what? We, time is running out. People are lost. People are dying in their sins. People that we love in church, we are being called today. The Spirit is saying, do you hear what I'm saying? Do you, are you listening to what I'm saying? Hallelujah. And I was reading... Reading an author in a leadership article, it says, Eight Warning Signs of a Dying Church. This is Tom Rainier, who's like a researcher, Lifeway Research, and he's with the Southern Baptist Organization. He studies churches and wrote several books on churches and kind of signs that they're dying. And so don't get too upset with me. I didn't write this list, but I found the list interesting when I read it. He says, I know this is not a pleasant term, but we call it the death spiral. Remember the death spiral I told you about when that plane's going down and you just know 
There's no way to pull out of it at this point. He says, I can understand this word, these words cause you to cringe. By the time I am contacted, though, about a serious problem in a church, it's often too late. The problems are so deeply rooted, but the remaining members are completely blind or they choose to ignore them. So churches, let's, let's just be sensitive here. Let's, let's listen and make sure that we are not blind to these things. Here's the eight signs. If your church has four more of these signs, it's likely um, you're in deep trouble. Indeed, it'd be, it could be closer than anyone could anticipate. Number one, and, and this one you have to be careful because how many know churches a lot of times have more, have less? There's always a cyclical decline and increase. But he says if your numerical decline is four or more years, then that is the first sign. And so the reason I'm hesitant with numbers is because I think that Paul is talking to a church that looks alive. But how many know numbers are important? If the only numbers you have are the existing people in the pews, then that can only go one direction. Attrition. Attrition means you lose, somebody leaves, somebody dies. And so a church is not pursuing the lost like we're supposed to and like we're called to do. How many know the only other alternative is attrition? And everybody says, yeah, I know that's true. But the actions have to back up the fact that we know it's true. We have to be pursuing preaching the gospel to the community. We have to have concrete uh, plans and and concrete um, resolve to say... We are going to do this. What we can't do is leaders show you how we're going to do it and then everybody backs away and the same group of leaders are doing every new thing. And so church, we've all got to step up. How many know this is true? We've all got to step up or what happens is the church goes into a death spiral. This is number one, right? These are important, so I'm taking my time. Number two, the church is not known by the community in which it is located. The community likely little knows little or nothing about the church, and the church likely knows little or nothing about the community. You say, Chad, are we focused on these items? Yes. All of my energy, all of that I think about, all that I do is thinking about bringing new people into this church and going out to the community and reaching the lost. We have plans on the table right now that we're ready to move on to get into the community and preach the gospel. And church, it's it's very important. You say, well, it's just another thing, and I don't know if I want to be involved. And, and, And we have to understand that if we aren't committed to his purpose and vision, then we're a church that's dying. The community has to know who we are. It doesn't say that they have to be charmed by you or they have to think you're the greatest thing that's ever happened to the community. They just need to know who we are and we need to know who they are. 
How can you preach the gospel or how can you love somebody or how can you pray for somebody if we don't know who they are? So very important. Number three, the the congregation is mostly comprised of one generation, usually seniors. It's a few funerals away from having no one left in the church. Attrition is the only path for this church because they will not reach the lost. If you are not growing and reaching new people the gospel, you are dying. So church, we must be multi-generational. And you're like, well, man, why is Chad always talking about reaching the youth in the community? Because you'll die if you don't. Children, why are we trying to put so much into a children's wing and building a children's ministry? Because we'll die if we don't. Hallelujah. This is good stuff. Sometimes you come to the table and it's ice cream. This is Brussels sprouts. Hallelujah. How many like Brussels sprouts? We don't always like to eat them, but boy, they make you strong, don't they? Hallelujah. <laughs> Number four, the focus is always on the past and not the future. Most of the conversations are about the good old days. The good old days may have been 25 or more years in the past, and often there's a hero pastor of the past. And he is the model to emulate. Church, we got to live for today. We got to reach a community today. We got to go after the loss today. I don't want to be talking about yesterday. That's gone. Yesterday's great. I've got great memories, but I want to make new memories. I want to have new things. I want things that are greater than before. You know, and I don't want to look like I'm alive. I want to see real revival in the future, not in the past. I love the past. I love the revivals of the past. But I want a real revival, and I don't want to imitate one from the past. I want one today. Our kids need a revival. Hallelujah. We need to quit looking at the past and start praying for the future. And churches that are in a death spiral only look at the past. Hallelujah. The members of the church are preference-driven. Music style, programs, schedules, carpets, chairs. They're more worried about their preference than reaching people with the gospel. Their definition of discipleship is take care of my needs. We've all seen this stuff, right? I, I would love to sit around and meet everybody's preferences. But every decision we make is to bring in the lost. To reach the community. To fulfill the mission that God has called us to do. Yeah, that means taking care of the people in the house. But every decision that we make can't be driven by our preferences. In fact, that's the problem the Corinthian church had. Everything was their preference. This is how we like to do this. This is how we like to do that. We want to do our own thing in worship. We want to do our own thing here. And Paul was saying, you need to stop doing that. And you need to do what's for the benefit of all the people. Not just some of the people, but all of the people. And so he was focusing that church and saying, this is a sign the church is dying, that we're all about our preferences and not about reaching the lost, you know. I'm a lot of times it's you know you got a single mother that comes we got a single mother's room in there and I built that with a dream of it being filled with mothers who don't have anywhere to take their baby and they want to go in there and watch the service 
Hallelujah. Those are the kind of people we want to reach. We want to reach single mothers. We want to reach people that um, are struggling with addictions. We want to build our church by anybody. That, it's like gold dust, church. When people walk in and, and, and they are wanting to know about Christ and wanting to be a disciple, we've got to turn the world upside down just to meet them where they're at and help them in their repentance process. You say, well, let's just get them in, make them feel good, and let's have a social club. That's not what he called us to do. He called us to repentance, make disciples, grow disciples, and help us make more disciples. That's the purpose that we can't lose. We've got to hold on to and hold fast. All right, this is long, long message. The budget is in, uh, severely inwardly focused. Wow. The funds are expended to meet the preferences of the members. Few dollars are for ministry or missions. Any dollars for missions rarely include the involvement of anybody in the church actually sharing the gospel. Ouch. Everybody say, ouch. <laughs> Feels good sometimes to, to step on our toes, doesn't it? Hallelujah. We want to be reaching. Missions is important, and these things are all important or our church is dying. How about this one? You have a sacred, sacred cow facility. It might be the parlor. It may be the pulpit. It may be pews instead of chairs. It may be entirely the worship center or the sanctuary. Members insist on holding tightly to things that God wants you to hold on to loosely. Sacred cows. Oh, you can't do that. You do that. <laughs> Don't do that. You do that. This is how we've always done that. Church, it's about the mission and the purpose of the church, not about sacred cows. Hallelujah. Any kind of change is met with resistance. Members are confronted with a choice to change or die. And though few would articulate it, their choice by their actions or lack of actions is I choose to die. Hallelujah. I know I told you it's going to be a little long. I'm sorry. But I'm going to give you six stages of a dying church. Same author, same article. Number one, denial. The church is declining, but no one seems concerned. Fewer people are being reached with the gospel, but nobody sounds the alarm. The church's impact on the community is negligible, but life continues in the church like nothing has happened. Let me think that's happening in a lot of churches. There's this denial. Oh, it was COVID. Oh, it was this, oh, it was that. And those are contributing factors. Those are uh, comorbidities, we would call them. <laughs> but we've got to acknowledge the truth from what Jesus has shown us in this church. The second one is recalibration. There's a sense something's wrong, so the church responds in one or two minor things. They, they basically tweak something. Do more of what we're doing that has proven ineffective. And secondly, they try to find a magic bullet or a new pastor. The church does not really want to change. It just thinks they need a slight adjustment. If a church is dying, they need more than a slight adjustment. They need to change. And you say, well, man, we get a new pastor. We're going to be all right. You know, if that pastor is trying to get us into the community and we're trying to do the right things for the mission purpose of Christ, that's not where the problem's at. The problem is the people in the pews need to change or the people in the seats need to change and we all need to get behind a mission and a vision to do what God's called us to do and quit playing games. Hallelujah. We can't play games very much longer. 
You know, we've got to get serious about a unified mission and purpose. And you say, well, I will, but around the dinner table, I'll say something totally different. No, you better get fully behind what God's calling us to do. And we need to be unified. You pass differences, and let's say, let's move together, church. And I'm not saying this specifically about this church. There's nothing that's happened that Eddie will attest. There's nothing. I'm just preaching a general message to the churches that we need to get behind a vision as a local church and move. Hallelujah. Uh, Number three, anger. Church leaders and members begin to recognize that the magic bullet did not reverse the negativity and the trends. So they deflect the blame. It's the denomination's fault. It's those young people who don't respect the way we've always done things fault. It's the messed up culture's fault. It's people in our community who quit going to church's fault. How many recognize this stage? The church is going through these right now. All the churches in America, they're going through that blame. They're going through that recalibration. They're going through that anger, right? And so we can actually see these happening in churches, and that means that there are a lot of churches in America they're going to have to fight and uh, re- take those things that remain and strengthen them and pull out of this death spiral. Hallelujah. Amen. Very serious. Number four, Exodus. The church starts to lose people gradually, but then the outflow increases and many who, who do not leave attend less frequently. Did I just say that? Church has been losing people gradually. Then the outflow increases, and those who even attend, attend less frequently. The worship center is empty on Sunday mornings. The anger now becomes demoralization. They've lost their morale. How many think that happens? Preacher goes to preach, and people aren't faithful anymore. Worship team goes to play, and people aren't faithful anymore. How many have seen this demoralization across America? And we're seeing it, and they say, well, man, what's going on here? And it says that um, life and action needs to be infused in the body at this point. I mean, you know, when the body gets demoralized, we better start to do something. We better start to unite. We better start to infuse life in the church. We better get a renewed vision. We better get a renewed mission. We better get a renewed love for one another where we're encouraging one another encouraging the body and building the body up from the top to the bottom. How many see this desperate situation in America? Hallelujah. This is serious stuff. And then the fifth stage is desperation. For the first time since the dying process began, the remaining members say they are more open to new ideas and change. But their words are words of desperation. It is not truly a conviction from their heart. The handwriting is on the wall. This church will soon die if their resolve to change is not increased. You see that? They've gotten desperate now. But they really haven't changed. Heart hasn't changed. And the last one here, the church, death. The church becomes another tragic statistic. At best, the church deeds its property to another church. The process from denial to death in the past took as much as 30 years. Today, that process is very short and quick. So what does Jesus say to do here? Wake up. 
So what happens when you're sleeping? Close my eyes. I can promise you there's no work that's going to be done when I'm sleeping. So we've got to ask ourselves, do our actions resemble more of a person who's sleeping or a person who's awake and alive? And so we can't keep sleeping. We've got to come alive to the purposes. You say, well, Chad, I, man, I go to church and most people don't. Not enough, church. Sorry, it's not enough. We've got to be plugged into the purpose and the mission or where a church that's asleep. Number two, he says, strengthen what remains. That means you're here for a reason. There's strong conviction in your heart to serve God. And so let's find a place to strengthen those things. Let's dig in and let's do the work of the Lord till the day he takes us home. Hallelujah. Let's be people that live with a purpose in our life for his mission. Hallelujah. Number three, remember what you were taught. Uh, sometimes we can get caught up in the culture and what we should be and should be doing. But really, the, me- the mission is pretty simple. And we've got to remember what we were taught. Remember the foundation that was laid. And you say, well, those things change. Some things change as far as ministering to people and how we do it. But the, what, the foundation that was laid never changes. It's still about reaching the lost, repentance, building them up in the, in the faith, and then also sending them to do the work with us. That's pretty simple, church, right? And we should be doing that always. And the last thing is obey and repent. And I'm going to close with that, worship team. <clears throat> obey and repent. Hallelujah. I like those words. Obey. God, I hear what you're saying. I hear what the Spirit is telling me. Now I'm going to go in the opposite direction. Now I'm just going to turn around and you say, well, man, you want to lay hands on me, go to the altar, what do you want to do? You can go wherever you want. I don't care. Just repent. I don't care how you do it. I mean, you have a different method maybe than everybody else has, but all I'm asking you to do is if you're going the wrong direction, turn around and go the other direction. You know, if you're not behind the vision, you're not behind the vision. If you're not plugged into it, if you're halfway doing it, then turn around, repent, go the other direction. And church, we've got a mission and a vision that's too big for me to fulfill. It's too big for a few people to fulfill. But if we all did it together and we all knew what it was and we were all laser focused, how many know that we would accomplish that vision and God would do an amazing work and this would be a life-giving church and Jesus would walk through and he would evaluate us and he would say to us, well done. Well done, church. And there were churches that he complimented and only complimented. There were churches that were doing what God had called them to be. And church, how many want to be that church? How many want to be the church that Jesus walks through and says, I am so happy with Wellspring and what they're doing in this community. And church, that's what we want to be. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Church, I just want you to begin to pray. Begin to pray, yeah. Go ahead. I do want to back Pastor Chad up on.
this, you would not believe the amount of hours him and I sit around discussing how to get where God's taken us. And uh, it truly is his passion. But the one thing you'll never hear him say, and I know this from hours of talking about this, is he's never said, we need the people who will do this. It's what we always realize is you're the people God's going to do this with. Right? We see it in every one of you. And uh, we have the right congregation to change this entire community. And God's going to do that. Right? You guys are the ones. We just have to be willing. And the other day I was in here praying Thursday night and I was by myself. And I was tired. I was really tired. Anybody ever get there during the week? You're really tired. You know God has something for you, but you're too tired to do it. And I was sitting there praying, and I said, Lord, I'm so tired, but I'm here. I'm so tired, but I'm here. And God told me, He said, Eddie, I didn't give blessings for Him to distract people from me. Right? He blessed us with jobs. He blessed us with families. He blessed us with homes. He blessed us with whatever we have. We have an overabundance of blessings from God, and we often let those be the distractions from us doing what He's calling us to do. Right? Well, I'm tired from work. I can't go do what God called me to. He didn't give you that job, so you'd be too tired to do what He's calling you to do. Right? Or you think, well, I haven't spent enough time with my family. Guess what? He didn't call you to do it alone. He called you to do it with your family. He didn't give you a family to leave them behind when you're serving the Lord. He gave you a family to bless you, to serve with. Right? We cannot let the blessings of God hold us back from God. Alright? We use them to bless God with. We use them to do what He calls us to do. But He didn't have us hold back. And you guys, it's not going to be Pastor Chad that reaches this community. It won't be me. It won't be Keevan. It's going to be you guys. There, there's a thing Margie likes to say all the time. If you, when Margie's here, Margie raises sheep. Well, she did. For a long time, she raised sheep. And she said, you'll never see the shepherd multiply. He can't. You only see the sheep multiply. If we're going to reach this community have to be all of us serving the Lord and the servants and those who follow God are the ones who are going to multiply. So, back to Pastor Chad. Amen. Every uh, close of a message, how many um, realize that um, we're taught when we preach a message to have a challenge? There's always a challenge at the end and that's what we have to uh, minister a challenge. Tell me life, that's what life is. If you're going to live the Christian life, you've got to be challenged to do something that maybe we aren't doing or haven't done or we're doing and we just want to continue to do it. But remember that city that was protected on three sides and looked like no enemy could attack it. The outside of that city, they were examining it. The Persians were walking around that city and they were saying... We've looked at it long enough and we see weakness here. They're not going to protect these uh, mountains and we're just going to climb it and defeat them. Listen to this, 1 Peter 5, 8, 9, it says, Be alert 
and of a sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Like Eddie said, there's a lot of things in life that we're all going through. We're all struggling and fighting and going through lots of things. And he's saying, but remember that the devil is kind of walking around looking for a way to defeat the church. And God expects the church to be victorious. God has done everything for us to be victorious. And God wants us to be sober-minded and aware that the enemy is prowling. And God wants us to step forward and not be like that city that was lazy and comfortable. And, you know, he's saying, hey, step forward. Let's do what God's called us to do as a church. And what does that look like, church? That, that looks like operating in whatever giftings you have. I, over the course of time as a minister, do you know the kind of giftings that I'm looking for? You're looking for somebody to preach the gospel and run the church. No, I, I do that. I've got lots of people to do that with me. I've raised up lots of people to preach the gospel. I'm looking for people that can wipe a table off in a cafe and love people. Clean that table off. Cook that food. Serve that food. Wash those dishes. Go out to a event. We're going to be uh, buying a trailer to go out into the parks. Cooking for people. Meeting people. Loving people. Praying for people. You know, inflatables for the kids. Painting the little kids' faces. You say, well, why is that spiritual? Because we're all going to use our gifts to reach the community. The community should know us. We should know the community. We should be building relationships with the community. We should be cooking food and serving it and asking them how they're doing. You know, we should be doing those things. We're going to be starting a ministry um, for those who are struggling with any kind of addiction. And you say, well, what will that entail? That will entail having a meal letting them know that this church supports people that are struggling with any kind of addiction. You say, well, do I need to teach the classes? No, Jeremiah is very gifted in what he does in that. He's done it for many years at Teen Challenge. And so we've got gifted people in every area, but I need a lot of people to do a lot of things, and that's the same ministry that he's doing. It's cooking food. It's doing dishes, it's loading up trailers, it's setting up tents, it's cooking on a big cooker for the community. It's all these things where the church comes together and has one vision. You say, well, Chad, I think the church should be doing this. I think the church should be doing that. And those are all valid things. But we've got to be laser focused. We can't waste any resources. We've got to have every, it's like an army going into battle and the general saying, hey, you need to be here, you need to be there. And you're like, well, I think it's a better idea. I don't have the resources for your better ideas. I'm not being mean. I'm just saying we've got to be laser focused because we don't have the resources to waste resources. We've got to be laser focused, church. Hallelujah. Can we do that? 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's just seek the Lord. You say, well, man, I want to be a part of that. We need to talk. I'll go sit for, just ask anybody. I'll sit for two hours and show you the whole vision of the church. And then, I, and then if you have questions, I'll show you again. And you can look through it and you can say, well, you're missing something here. And I'll pray about that and I'll add it if it's missing. Right now, our board, our meetings contain us looking through that vision and saying, what are the first five highest priority and let's go after it. And and the church, we're laser focused. And that's how we need to always be as a church. If we lose the mission and we lose the vision, then we become a church that's in a death spiral. It's very easy to do. How many know that? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I just want you to repent this message touched you and you said man I want to be a part of it I need people I mean I need people at the door just getting people's information I mean there are people in this church that can't do what God's called them to do if we don't have the information for people if we don't have somebody that loves people when they walk in the doors if we don't have people that are securing the facility or securing the events out we, we can't do these events and so everything that God's called us to do, we all have to be a part in it or we just can't do it. And so let's really just repent and say, God, make me somebody that's plugged into the vision and mission. We've got to be faithful to that vision, to that mission. As faithful as the pastor is every week, we all need to have that same mind. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I pray that this message, Lord, would be like healthy food to us, to a body, Lord. We would eat it, Lord. It would strengthen what remains. Lord, you would make the church what it's called to be, powerful for the tearing down of every stronghold. Lord, that we would set uh, captives free, that there'd be liberty not only in the church but in the community. Father, those who are in darkness, they'll see the marvelous light, Lord. Oh, Lord God, you've called us to win called us to victory. You called us to hope, Lord God. We put that all in your people today. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Just repent, church. Hallelujah. Find a place. saying earlier, I really like those words they were saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. And um, you say, well, what do I do? How do I get started? How do I move forward? Um, What we need to do is repent, call upon the name of the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be used by you. That's it. Lord, I repent of my life, my sins against you, and I'm turning the other direction you say, well, what do I do next? Call me. We want to celebrate with you if that's the first time you've done it. I, I, nothing excites me more than pulling the water baptism tank out, filling it up and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because you know what happened? We went. We made a disciple. We all celebrate. Now it's time to train that person to go make more disciples. And how many know the more people that repent... The more people that turn the other direction, the more the people that called to make disciples, the more we can reach a lost and dying world while there's still time, church. 
The more people are awake, the more that we can reach people. And church, I'm telling you, we we that, that's all you have to do. It's that simple. You say, well, do I have to embarrass myself? No, you call me. I'll set up the water baptism. I'll pray with you. You can repent and we'll start moving in a direction. And guess what we'll do? We'll plug you into ministry. You say, well, don't I have to wait or don't I have to go to school? No, there's ministry right now that we can do together. And church, all we need to do is have people that say yes. Yes, and you say, well, man, I've got lots of experience. Well, you're way ahead. You're way ahead. Let's do it. If you've got some experience, tell me what it is, and let's do it. Let's do it. We can't have the same few people doing everything. We need people to step up and say, man, here I am, Lord, send me. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, we say yes, hallelujah. Father, I pray that courage would be poured upon each person. Lord, in this day, in this hour, when it looks dark, the enemy looks imposing, Lord God, we know that there's no enemy that can stand against you, Lord God. Oh, Lord, you've given us victory, Lord God. You've given us strength, Lord God. The church always wins, Lord God, when they're obedient to you. Father, right now, I pray that you pour upon the people here, Lord. Father, your might and your power, Lord God, raise each person up today, Lord God. Father, I pray that action, action, action would be the cry of the day, Lord. That we're going to move forward and we're not going to back down, Lord God. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus, and everybody said, Hallelujah, Amen. Praise God. Bless you.